last chapter of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. And believe it or not, I'm going to try to get through the whole chapter on one Sunday. We'll see. Don't, don't, inter- don't distract me, and I, and I might be able to do this. So. Um, so, basically, we're seeing a progression in the book of 1 Peter. And what Peter is doing is he's trying to prepare the church for the worst. And then if the best comes, guess what? It makes life a whole lot easier. Too often, leaders do not prepare, people do not prepare one another for the worst. They, they, they're trying to, that they just, if I ignore the problems, they'll just go away. Well, we live in a culture where you, you can't ignore the problems anymore. When you have people having a prayed naked, down the street, chanting, we're coming for your children. How can you turn a blind eye to that? And we have a state where the House just passed, passed a bill that says that if you say anything that hurts someone's feelings, it could be considered a felony. Well, I'm here to tell you, in the beginning, God created them male and female. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Anything else is a perversion. It's a sin. Just like any sexual sin. We all need a Savior. His name is Jesus. And He can transform your life and give you a new identity and rescue you not from not only from the hell to come, but the hell that you're living in right now. And if that is considered hate speech, and that's a felony, I guess, give it to me. Amen? We, and you've got to be careful. And I know you guys are excited. And I, and I promote, I want you guys to, to um, hear lots of streams of, of teaching um, and we have so many great um, avenues. Ask Pastor Tom. He's got, a, he's got ten podcasts for you right now. But um, to hear different teaching and different understanding, um, I would never tell you that I have all the, the answers, right? I'm constantly feed, feeding. Um, the only thing I ask is that you keep Jesus the center, right? If, if, it, if it's constantly pointing to you, it's not the Gospel, Right? If 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 it's bringing, um, if it's not elevating Jesus and pointing to Jesus, it's not the gospel, and you need to eat the cherries. I, I was eating some last night and spit out the pits. Right? I love cherry season. So, but in, in this, so in this, in this season that we're in, we have people talking about escaping. You know, Jesus is going to come back and make everything right. Well, you know, in 1 Peter, He didn't come back. And it got worse. That's 2 Peter. Right? And then it got better. Sometimes you have to go through something. God doesn't always take you out of something, but He graces you and empowers you to go through something. Why? Because it's all about bringing His glory. Right? It's all about us um, 
serving the Lord and King Jesus Christ. You know, people think, well, as soon as we get the, the next right president in there, he's going to change everything. He's going to make everything better. Well, maybe. I don't know. But what if it doesn't? Here's one thing I do know, is that there are people all over in your life that is looking for hope. They're looking for answers. They're, they're, they're in bondage. They're, 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 they're broken hearted. And just like a majority of the church is waiting for some Savior to save our country, our friends, neighbors, and co-workers, and even our children are waiting for you to bring the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in their life. In Psalms 23, verse 4, how many had to memorize that when they were little? Psalms 23, right? He says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Notice that he had to walk through it. But God was with him. See, it doesn't matter if you got to go if God takes you over it, around it, under it, or straight through it. You're going through it. Amen. So today we're going to be ending ending chapter five, and Peter's going to show us what he's going to show us that in the midst of crisis, is as crisis increases in our culture, there is a greater need for leadership among God's people. And all of us are leaders. There are people here that never see themselves as a leader. You have to start seeing yourself as a leader. If you are a parent, you are a leader. And your children need to be guided, directed, in this time more than ever. The influence that they're receiving from social media. The peer pressure is just not when they go to school. It's on their phone constantly to conform. And Jesus wants to use you to cause them to be transformed. If you're a big brother or a sister, right? you are a leader over your siblings. That's a great responsibility. They look up to you. If you're a grandparent, you are a leader of generations. Think about that. Generations are looking unto you, and hopefully you're looking unto Jesus. If you're a business owner, and you have employees, and you have customers, you are a leader. You are an influence in those people's lives. If you're in management and work, you are a leader. You are managing people. If you're in ministry, if you coach a baseball team you're in le- or a little league team or soccer team or whatever, you are in leadership. If you're a teacher, if you're a government official, you are in leadership. And you have to see yourself as leading others as you are led by Christ. You know, we're talking about Peter here. And Peter was trained by Jesus for three, three and a half years. He, he, he 
listened to Jesus speak. He was taught. He's seen how Jesus led. He's seen it firsthand. He, he watched Jesus. And when it came to the end of Jesus' ministry, He was praying and, and He told Peter that Satan is going to attack you. He's going to attack you and, and that Peter, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. But you will be restored. And what does Peter say? Peter says, not me. I'm ready to die for you, Lord. I'm ready to die for you. And so often, we can be overzealous and think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And pride becomes, comes before the fall. And when the battle raged, Peter failed. He failed Jesus when Jesus needed his support the most. And what does Jesus do? Like he always does. He comes and restores Peter. He restores Peter, and Jesus tells Peter, Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Here in 1 Peter chapter 5, we see Peter much older. He's an older shepherd now. He's been battle tested. He's failed. He's, he's been restored. He's had successes. And what he's doing is he's preparing the church for the growing crisis that he sees on the forefront. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He talks about being an overseer, an elder. And that means one that watches over and cares for the church. The role that they fulfill is teaching, preaching, and setting a good example for God's people. And the thing of it is, is just as there are elders, those that are in overseeing the body of Christ and strengthening the body of Christ. One thing we as husbands have to understand is that we have that same role in our families. We have that same role in our families. We are to be caring, we should be teaching, we are to be praying, we are to be setting a good example for our families. Right? Alongside our wives. And what we do is in that environment, we create a kingdom atmosphere in our homes. It becomes something different. It becomes a refuge to our children and even to ourselves from the hell that we're, we experience in the world. This is also true of any Christian that has been put in, place, in a place of leadership where others are under their care. We are to re represent Christ, His way of leadership, and His way of doing things. And notice what Peter was that Peter says here he, that he was already, I love this, he is already 
part, a partaker of the glory that would later be revealed. And if that's true of Peter, that's true of you. You, are, you already, in your earthen vessel, have the glory of God concealed. In, in 2 Corinthians 4.7, it, it tells us we have these treasures in earthen vessels, right? Romans 8.18 8, tells us it won't be totally revealed until we have our glorified bodies. But here's the truth of this, is that we can experience this glory now to the degree that we renew our minds and are obedient and cooperate with the Lord in our lives. See, that's the whole thing, is trying to get what's in you out. What's in you out into the world. You know, there were, I used to say, say, see, I correct myself every once in a while. I used to say that, you know, the church is real good at saying, oh, the world's going to get darker and darker, right? But the church is going to get brighter and brighter. And I said, that, that, can't, that, that can't happen. You can't have darkness and light at the same time. Right? It's either going to get darker and darker or it's going to get brighter and brighter. Well, I guess I was wrong. Because there is a way for the world to get darker and darker while there's still light in the world. And that is by having all the light boxed up in a, in a, in a building, in our homes, in the Kept as a secret. If we don't get the light, if the church does not get out into the world and let their light shine, to show that them, them that there's something different, to, to start walking in holy boldness, where you're walking in love and not in tolerance. When you tolerate, when you tolerate sin, you are you are a, um, an accessory to that sin. Right? We need to get the light of Jesus out into the world. As a pastor, see, one of the things that I think is interesting, one thing, one benefit of me not being a full, well, I'm a full-time pastor, but I have a full-time job. So, one of the benefits to that is that I get to experience what you experience. You know, when, when I don't know, when we get, off, get kicked off Facebook if I say the C word, that 19, C19 thing, when that was happening, we had people coming and wanting my support and help because they didn't feel for them that they wanted to get the, 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 um, the job. Yep, the vaccine, right? And so I helped them with that and prayed with them and they came and after they didn't lose their job, they no longer came anymore, which is interesting. But do you know, I don't know how many of you know this, but your pastor went through the same thing. I had to tell my employer that I would not get it. Give him my exemption because we we are a rep agency and we rep um, companies that are um, 
worldwide global companies and they see us as a as a subcontractor of their organization so I had to go through the it, it's just not me telling you stand strong do you know if, if God has told you to do it then do it you know a Andrew was was sharing something about this at uh, at the Bible college people were saying well God told me not not to get the vaccine. What should I do? Because I could lose my job. And Andrew says, you lost me. If God told you not to do it, don't do it. Who cares about your job? And that's the way we need to be. And, and getting the vaccine, that's between you. That's between you and God. Right? You have to make decisions for, for yourself. But, but uh, you know, I, Manda, Manda hears me. I'm going oh, way off track, but but I minister to pe people. I have, I have uh, um, customers and stuff, and my office is out of my home, so Manny hears a lot of my conversations. And we, I have a customer that Amanda affectionately calls them F-bombs because she can hear them on the phone, and every other word is F. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. has a family, loves his family, wants the best for his family. But she overheard me talking to him, about I, I, he was complaining about his kids. They're in teen, getting almost out of high school and stuff like that, and having issues with. And I told him, I told him, man, you you need to get them into church. He goes, well, I tried to go to church, and he goes, and you know what? The pastor up there, the pastor up there, he he starts talking about pornography. He goes, here I am sitting with my family, and he's talking about pornography. He shouldn't be talking about pornography. And I go, why not? He goes, because that's not, that's not something you should be talking about in church. And I said, that, I said the problem is, is that you like pornography. She heard me say this on the phone with him. And he goes, so that doesn't mean nothing. You know, the whole thing. I'm not a pastor that just sits... I'm a very busy person. I, but I am out... I'm not someone that tells you to go out and do something that I'm not doing. And, and I don't know how we got off on this. But we need to release the light that is in us. We need to release the light that is in us. And, and, uh, and this glory is already in you now. And to the extent that you allow God to move in your life, that glory will be revealed. And I want you to notice something here. Now this is again is something that the church and we need to understand. Look at how Peter represents himself. He represents himself as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. The church loves titles. We think we think the title brings the anointing. No. If you don't have that anointing already, that title is not going to do anything. We like to be called prophet. We like to be called bishop. We like to be called pastor. You, listen, I don't ask anybody to call me pastor. If you want to call me pastor, if you see me as your pastor, feel free. You don't hurt my feelings. 
Tell you the truth, when we first got our business cards, I, I put on their lead servant. And then Amanda said, people aren't going to know what that means. And so I put slash pastor. Because that is what leadership, that's what biblical, that's what godly leadership looks like. It looks like serving. I'm serving you right now. I'm serving you as I prepare a message all week for you. Right? We are to be servants. We are to be servants. And, and this is what Paul, Peter is saying here. Peter was one of the greatest apostles. If, he, if someone had a reason to boast, he had a reason to boast. Right? He was a close friend with Jesus, yet when he's writing to the church led by other elders, he identified himself as one of them. He didn't say, Peter the Pope. Isn't that interesting? In doing this, what he did is he modeled Christ-like behavior. He modeled Christ-like behavior. He, he modeled Christ-like leadership, which is um, characterized by humility and setting an example for others to follow. You, um, and he, he says, you, and, and when you come into crisis, when you come into crisis, you have to seek God to, to, to how and who you select as your shepherds. Who's leading you? Because people are being led all over. You're being led by Netflix. You're being led by the evening news. You've been being led by um, your radio stations that you listen to. We're all being led, and as, as culture starts to decay, and, and crisis seems to, to be getting elevated in our society, we have to be very careful in who we are allowing to lead us. Are they following the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ? For a believer, if a pastor or anyone that's in any type of leadership are not following Jesus themselves, they are not fit for leadership. I'm telling you, if you follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you will see your leadership grow as far as your responsibility in the kingdom of God. It's all about following Jesus. It's all about seeing His example. And when you imitate Jesus, you can't help but to become a better leader. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul puts it this way, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Moms, can you say that to your kids? Dads, can you say that to your family? Grandparents, can you say that to your family? Managers at work, can you say that to your people that are under your authority? Follow me as I follow Christ. The best leaders are those that follow Christ. So how do you follow Christ? How do you follow Christ? You have an intimate, personal relationship with Him. The Word of God says, My sheep hear My voice. Are you hearing His voice? 
if you're not hearing His voice, maybe you're following a different shepherd. And then he goes on to say, he goes on to say, not under compulsion, but willingly. But willingly. This is one of the traps that many pastors fall into. Many pastors fall into because they they fall into a a job title rather than a calling. They 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 are pressured to overextend themselves. To overextend themselves. They're pressured to make something happen through their own strength and their own ability. They can make the mistake of not leading their families because they are under the pressure to constantly be at everyone's beck and call in the church. If you don't know this, you'll know it today, that my first responsibility is my personal relationship with Jesus. My second responsibility given to me by God is my family. You're my third responsibility. You get, you get the leftovers. That's what you get. Those in leadership need to do what God has graced them to do. You gotta do only what God has graced you to do and trust Him with the rest. But how about you? I have a question for you. Are you doing what God told you to do? Are you doing what God told you to do? And if you're sitting there sitting here thinking, I don't know. I don't know what God told me to do. That's not a good place to be. And could this be the, the cause, could this be why you're having the issues in life that you're having? Most people are doing what they want to do. Is that you? And my question is, is how's that working for you? You know, it, it's amazing as a pastor, and, and I just got to get more bolder, I, I, I guess, but we, we had a lady that was, was coming here for a long time, and she was very busy, just like we all are, you know. Whenever someone says they're busy, it's like, I have, no, I have very little compassion, because I'll put my calendar up to anybody's. But we're all, we all have 24 hours in a day. And we get to choose what we do with those 24 hours. And she was on fire for God and all this, and she came to me one day and um, she said that uh, she would talk to somebody and they said, you've got to start cutting, cutting some stuff out of your life. And you know what she cut out? Going to church on Sundays. I, and the problem is, is she told me that God told me this. God told me that I got to cut. I, I got to cut back, and and uh, Sundays is going to be the day that I cut back. And you know, one of the problems. Be very careful when you come and talk to me, because whenever you come and talk to me and say that God told me, you're not going to get much pushback from me, because who am I? to go against God. But God did not tell her that. And that's what I mean. When it's blatantly can't be God, I need to be more bold bold on stuff stuff like that. Again, I'm an open book. That's a fail, I had a failure there. 
But I, I just don't understand people's thinking. I don't understand their thought process. And he, he, said, he, he says that we're, we're not to do things out of compulsion, but willingly. Right? We, we need to do it willingly. Other translations say eagerly. Is this, is this your experience in life? When it comes to, to the kingdom, when it comes to serving God, when it comes to these things, are you doing it eagerly, willingly? God does, you know, I've told my kids before to do something and they did it, but they didn't do it willingly. And that does not make a, a, a father very happy. Right? I might be doing it on the outside, but on the inside, I'm fighting you all the way. And that doesn't bring warmth to a father's heart. And the same thing is for us and God our Father. He wants to see us um, um, serving and leading with an eager, eager heart to the Lord. And then he goes on to say, not for shameful gain. See, Peter had a first-hand example of this. And, and what Peter's saying, he's not saying that co- uh, compensation is shameful, but he is saying that some compensation there are types of compensation that are shame, shameful. And Peter sees this firsthand. Peter knew someone personally that served Jesus. He served Jesus, was part of Jesus' ministry, and the end was very painful. You know who that was? Judas. Judas is a classic example of shameful gain. Not only did he enjoy the conversation that was given to him, but the Bible says that he stole more. Right? And on top of it, he was being compensated in a ministry that they did not, he did not agree with. He did not agree with Jesus. Jesus would be preaching messages and, and he, he didn't agree with any of it. Right? He didn't agree with Jesus' mission. He went behind the back and caused issues for Jesus, right? And many people see ministry as a job rather than a, than a calling. And you, gotta, you, you will be a miserable human being if you find yourself in ministry just because it's a job. And then receiving from the Lord. Receiving from the Lord and not giving back to the Lord. God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And a lot of people eat all their seed and their bread. And then they wonder why they're not seeing a harvest in their life. You know, again, I'm using myself as an example because I know myself the best. When we started this church, I didn't, no conversation for first year. So people are thinking, Did you, are you doing this for the money? Well, I, I don't know... I'm not very good at math, but I don't think it adds up, right? And then following years after that, meager compensation, right? I had someone come up to me once and say, Chad, when are you going to trust God and go full time? And again, I I need to be bolder, but I thought to myself, I trust God with my giving. 
I trust God with my giving. And I'm not going to um, tempt God by saying, I quit everything. I have all these responsibilities. I have children. I have a wife that I like to make sure she's taken good care of. Now I got kids, two kids in college and their rent and all this stuff. I got all these responsibilities, but God, I'm just going to, after I take on these responsibilities, I'm going to tempt you. You either take care of me or you don't take care of me. No, my giving is my, my faith, my trusting in God. And I wanted to tell this guy, you know what? I'll probably, I'll probably go full time when you start tithing. It's not that I don't trust God. I don't trust you. There is. God has spoken to me. He's told me when I'm going to go full time. Amanda doesn't like it, but it's too bad. God told me. And when we, when we get to that point, I'm going full time. And I, and, I, and I just want you to know, it's funny that, that the only... The only uh, the only uh, compensation, the only salary that's that's that seems to be uh, seems to be uh, not impolite to talk about is the pastor's salary, right? And just so you know, when I go full time, I will be making a third of what I'm making now. So if you ever think that I'm in this for selfish gain. You're very, very delusional. So, that's what selfish gain is about. And then not domineering. Not domineering. Have anybody been in a church that it was this way? With a pastor where leadership was very, very domineering. They made you feel small. They made you feel um, insignificant. You, they... Even worse, they made you feel that you were dependent on them. That is terrible, terrible, terrible leadership. There is only one person that you need to be dependent on. And that is on Jesus Christ. And all of the leadership should be pointing you and teaching you how to become more and more dependent on Jesus. Right? Jesus taught and He modeled this. Christ-like leaders are to be servant-hearted and not to lord over others. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew 20, 25-26. But Jesus called them to Himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to be serving. If you're not serving, you're not great. You're, I don't think you heard me. If you're not serving, you're not great. Does God think you're great? Does Jesus think you're great? He says, if you're not, that we're supposed to serve, and, and the problem is, is most, most leadership in church, they get their leadership principles and ideas from the world, and they wonder why they look like Gentiles. I mean, sadly, Jesus' words and examples are forgotten in many churches that are characterized 
by bullying, manipulation, and control. Jesus promises of a, and then, then he closes with that Jesus promises a future reward for those that lead well. Do you know you have a heavenly 401k? But the problem is, is most Christians, just like in the natural 401k, they're not investing in it. It's there, but they're not investing in it. And there will come a day when we wish we did. That's, there's two points of wisdom in that, in case you missed it. Verse 5. He says, Likewise, you younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. We're supposed to be humble to one another. He's not just talking about the, the young people need to be humble. We, we interact with each other in humility. Right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter starts this verse again with what? He says, likewise, likewise, in the same way that the elders are to recognize their submission to the chief shepherd Jesus, likewise, the younger are supposed to submit to the elders. And you young people, Your parents want you to succeed more than anyone on the face of the planet. We, as a body of believers, we want to see our young people, we want to see them strong, we want to see them victorious, we want to see them going deeper and farther in the things of God than we ever did. We want to see them go leaps and bounds Light years ahead of us. We don't want to see them go through the struggles that we went through. So when people in the church, when your parents, when your grandparents are speaking into your life, telling you, do this, don't do that. Listen for my mistake. Listen to my wisdom. And you shrug your shoulders, roll your eyes, and could care less. You are setting yourself up for destruction. You know, Solomon had the greatest kingdom, the greatest kingdom that the world had ever known. The streets were literally paved with gold. They threw silver into the streets. But his son came along, Rehoboam. And he went to the elders, his father's elders, and he asked them, what should we do? And he says, if you, if you serve the people well, if you treat them well, um, they, they will love you and they will serve you. And, uh, and he left their council and went and talked to his friends. And they said, you need to, you need to tax them, you need to whip them, you need, you need to, to lord over them. And that kingdom was ripped in two because he didn't listen to the counselor of the elders, but to his peers. And your life will be ripped in two if you do not listen to the wise counsel of the elders that are in your life. You 
He says humility. He says that humility is a conduit for grace. Humility is a conduit for grace. Just like copper conducts electricity and pride stops the flow of God's grace as an insulator, just like an insulator does for electricity. Humility causes the grace of God to flow in your life. Pride causes it to stop. How many of you want more of God's grace in your life? Learn the way of humility. How many of you want God to be your opponent in life? It literally says that He sets Himself up against. He opposes the proud. Maybe the reason why you're not seeing the grace of God manifest in your marriage is because you're pride. You're filled with pride. You're not humble. Maybe you're not seeing... You've seen other people be being promoted in work at work and thinking that you deserve this and why does it seem like things aren't going my way? Maybe maybe you're filled with pride. God's grace saturates a person that is filled with humility. In verse six he says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Notice th- something here. God's not going to humble you. He says, he says that humble yourself. Humility is something that we have to voluntarily do. Just like submission. Submission is something that you voluntarily do you submit to another individual voluntarily? If you're forced to submit, that's not submission. Humility is something that we choose to do. And if you're forced into humility, that's not humility, that's humiliation. How many people have ever said, well, that was very humbling? No, it wasn't humbling, it was humiliating. It's humiliating. And that's what happens to prideful people is that they don't humble themselves so they get humiliated. Now listen to me. God's not gonna, God does not humiliate people. He doesn't humiliate people. But acting like the devil sooner or later will cause you to be humiliated. Amen. Humility naturally flows out of an intimate relationship with God. God is the most humble thing in all existence. He's so humble that He laid down His own life for His creation. You ask God what He wants, what does it look like to be humble? You ask God what He wants, and you do it. That's what humility looks like. Doing what God tells you to do. Well, Chad, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, 
Start right in here. He tells us a lot of stuff to do right in here. You do it. Yes, sir. Right? I know God as Abba. I know God, I know God as, as Father. I know the God that I climb up in the lap in and, and He takes very good care of me. But there's many times that God has spoken to me and He speaks to me as Father. Father's talking now. It's time to do this. It's time to act in faith. And so many Christians are, get really comfortable with, with the gentle side of God. But the correcting side of God is just as much as His love as the, as the gentle side of God. He, he corrects those whom He loves. I had a basketball coach that would yell. He would scream. And one, one day, he was yelling at us. And he says, he says, don't be upset when I'm yelling at you. He goes, start worrying when I stop yelling at you. Because that means I don't, I've given up on you. You're uncoachable. And humility flows from an intimate relationship with God. And you ask God what He wants and you say, yes sir, you do it. You humble yourself before God. And if you don't know what God wants you to do, what, what, what wants you to do, the truth is, you're not being humble. If you do not know what God wants you to do in life, you're not humble. Because your ideas, your plans, your desires are so important that you don't even know what God wants. Ouch. And then when things don't go the way that we want them to go, we blame God. <laughs> Is that true? God loves you, but He will not promote your pride. One of the biggest lies of pride is that that if we humble ourselves, we'll never be promoted. Here God promises, He promises that if we humble ourselves before Him, He will cause grace to promote you. Right? He will exalt you. One of the ways that you can tell if a person, if, you, if you've humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God, Peter goes on, on to tell us that if you're worrisome, if you're burdened down, if, you, if, you're, if you're burdened down with the cares of this world, if you can't sleep at night, if you're constantly thinking that you've got to help God out, you've got to make something happen, if you don't do it, it's never going to happen, that's, that's, that shows you that you not, have not humbled yourself before God. He says, he says, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares from you. If you're carrying anxieties, that's because you don't trust God to take care of you. You have not humbled yourself before Him. And I'm not saying that you're not concerned about things in your life. And you're not planning and you're not seeking God's will in certain things for your life. But if, if, if it's vexing you, if you can't sleep at night, if your stomach is turning, if it's controlling your life, you are filled with pride because you have not humbled yourself 
before God. You have not cast your cares onto Him. And you remember, humility flows out of a healthy relationship with God. How many times am I going to say this today? God will teach you to trust Him. He will teach you to submit to Him. He will teach you how to cast your cares on Him. And when we do, that's when you're truly walking in humility. In verse 8, he says, Be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, or in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. When crisis is looming and people are hurting, the enemy is lurking. He says, again, this is the third time in, the, in 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, that he uses the phrase, phrase, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Paul uses this, this phrase over and over again. So if you're being weighted down by anxieties and cares, if your mind is being controlled by your emotions, if you're, if you're not paying attention to what the enemy is doing, you are a prime candidate to be devoured. I heard a story about a, pa- uh, a pastor that went to on safari in Africa, and they went to this area that the li- it was known for the lions to be, and they were in the saf- the safari vehicle, lots of people in it, and the the lions came came, came out, and everybody kind of you know was taken back with <gasps> some gasps and stuff, and 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 he got on his little speaker, he says, "Don't worry about it." He says, "As as long as you stay in this in this vehicle." The lions see you as part of this vehicle and they won't attack something that is, is as big as we, we are. And then he says, one individual jumped out of the vehicle once to get a better picture and they devoured him. And what he's saying, what, what, what this whole illustration is that is if you stay in Christ, if you if you stay connected to a body of believers, the enemy can't devour you. He sees you in Christ. He sees you in the body. Notice that we have to resist steadfast in the faith. See, this is not physical resistance. It's spiritual resistance. It's spiritual resistance. Many people are willing to do whatever they need to do in the natural. Right? Doctor tells you to do this. Oh, I have no problem doing it. Doctor tells you you need to come in for a checkup. You have no problem sitting two hours in a waiting room and then another 45 minutes in the other room waiting for the doctor. Right? We have no problem with doing things in the physical, but the issue is, is as Christians, we need to learn how to resist in the spirit. We need to resist spiritually. We need to learn how to fight spiritually. We resist Him by, in our faith. Our faith is the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has already accomplished. That's your confession. 
Your confession is what Jesus has already accomplished. We overcome the enemy through the word, uh, through the word of God, and through the blood of the Lamb and the, and the word of their testimony. Right, right. Your testimony isn't well. When I was five years old, I walked down and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's not your testimony. Your testimony is Jesus. Your testimony is Jesus. Devil, this is who Jesus is. This is what He has done. This is what He has accomplished. Go pound sand. The devil will try to make us think that we are unique. He'll, he'll try to make us think, get, get us into a victim mentality. That we're, we're unique in this world. No one has ever experienced what I've experienced. No one has ever been tempted the way that I've been tempted. No one has ever struggled the way that I've struggled. I guess I'm just going to have to be like poor old Job. Poor old Job. How about you be like Jesus? How about that? How about you imitate, be imitators of Christ rather than imitators of Job? That's a revelation, right? And, and what he's trying to do, he's trying, just like a lion tries to, to get someone that's weak away from the herd so that he can devour them, so he can destroy them, that's what the devil tries to do. He make, tries to make you feel isolated. How many people, when they start struggling in life, when, when, when temptation comes, or they have a failure in life, or, or, or they... Or, or, or things just aren't going right. They're, they're depressed. What do they immediately do? They stop coming to church. And they don't get better. That's, the, that's what the Satan's trying to do. He's trying to get you to feel like you're the only one. He's trying to get you to feel like there's no one there. And, the, and that is one of the main things that the body of Christ does. It comes along. It encourages. It builds each other up. That, that's, so this is your guys' job too. You need to be praying for one another. How many times in the New Testament does he say pray for one another? Some of you, have you ever grabbed someone by the hand and prayed for them? We are to encourage. We are to build each other up. We are to prophesy to one another. What's that mean? Speak edification, encouragement. Building, building each other up. Satan tries to isolate you from the herd. Because these same temptations, he's, Peter's saying, these, these same temptations, these same troubles happen to everywhere. To everyone. It's the same thing. The devil might put a different wrapper in a bowl and, a, and put it in a different package, but inside it's the exact same thing. And it should encourage us to know that what we're going through, others have gone through also. You know, your, your pastor, he, he, he goes through things. He's tempted. He's, he has things in his life. I have to fight, fight um, symptoms of flu and all that stuff like that. Twelve years, I've never missed a Sunday. It's not that I wasn't tested to miss a Sunday, but by the grace of God, I've never missed a Sunday. 
And what is, why do I say this? I say this because knowing that other people have gone through the exact same thing that you're going through should give you hope that if they can go through it, I can go through it. The same power that is in them, the same Spirit that is in them, the same Savior that they have, I have that same Spirit. I have that same Savior. And if they went through it, I'm going through it. And then he talks about compared to eternity, where, where God lives, all of our suffering in, in, in this life really is just so short. It's just a glimpse. It's a flash in the pan. It's a grain of sand. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says, and think about the afflictions and what he had went through. He says, for momentary light affliction is producing in us the eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. The best is yet to come. And notice that it is the grace of God that enables us to stand through suffering. For most Christians, um, they, when it comes to the grace of God, they think that grace is what got them saved. They think that grace is, some, is what forgive, forgave them. They think that grace is something that justified them. That grace is just what made them alive in Christ. But what the problem is, is we don't fully appreciate that all of God's blessings in our life comes through that same grace. The way that you are saved is how you receive everything else from the Lord. By grace, through faith. Grace builds us up. It empowers us to do good works. It makes us fruitful. It makes us prosperous. Grace gives us hope. Grace enables us to reign in life. Grace is not merely for sinners and those outside the kingdom. Grace is for all of us. Grace is how we are to live our daily lives. And coming in for a landing. He says, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She, she who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all, to all of you who are in Christ. And what Peter, how he closes, he starts talking about friends. See, in the body of Christ, it produces friends. Godly friendships. And Peter talks about friends. Friends in the faith. He talks about she who is in Babylon. Many people believe that this is code for Rome. He didn't want to call out Rome personally because it might cause trouble if this letter was found in, in the churches. He says, he says what, what, what he, he says is that we are one family in Christ Jesus. Just because you're not at this church on Sunday, maybe you're across the state, maybe you're across the city, maybe you're in another parts of the world, we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're all going through the same things. We have the same Lord. We have the same Savior. He says, he says something interesting here. He says, Mark my son. Now this wasn't his physical son. And what happens is sometimes, sometimes in the body of Christ, um, you can, you can have physical family, 
But sometimes the Lord does something spiritual and you can have spiritual fathers. You can have spiritual sons and daughters. And you can't have spiritual wives, so don't even go there. But anyways, but anyways, he, he, Mark was a spiritual son to him, right? And, and it also is believed that who he's talking about here is John Mark. John Mark. And John Mark is the same Mark that in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, that Paul got upset with. Didn't think he was fit for the ministry. Wouldn't, wouldn't bring him along with him, with him, and he drew and because he drew back on one of their missionary, he got fearful and drew back in one of his uh, Paul's missionary endeavors. And we see here that Peter took Mark under his wing. See, we started this by saying that this is a perfect letter written by an imperfect person. And how God uses imperfect people to do a perfect work. Peter understood drawing back. Peter understood not having boldness when you needed to have boldness. And Peter took Mark under his wing. He shepherded Mark. He taught Mark. He explained things to Mark. And John Mark spent many years with Peter being shepherded by him, being fed, being led, being encouraged and strengthened. And out, of, and out of all this, out of everything that he learned from Peter, we have the second book of the Gospel. Some of you here are thinking that God can't use you because you screwed up. That you're disqualified. That you're not usable. I think we heard a message on that recently. Thank God for Pastor Tom. It is, it is so wonderful for me to have one thing. My, my other job, i got to answer emails and phone calls the whole time. Even when I'm on vacation. It is so nice that the care for you beautiful people I can put on to Pastor Tom and not have to worry one bit because he has a heart for you just as I do. That, that is such, that's such a blessing. So many pastors do not, do not have that. They don't have that. Most of the time pastors go on vacation and come back, they find out that they've been fired. <laughs> so, if you're sitting here thinking that you, you that you've screwed up too much, Peter denied knowing Jesus. That's like Billy Graham saying, "I'm not a Christian anymore." And then, I mean, can you imagine what the news media would do? Billy Graham becomes an atheist, and then two weeks later, oh, I'm back. I'm back. I'm a believer. I'm one of the good guys again. Peter understood failure. But he understood the chief shepherd. He understood that Jesus mends our brokenness. That He heals us. And He 
He strengthens us and He encourages us. And, and in that, Peter became one of the mighty shepherds, one of the mighty elders of their early church. The writer of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And because he understood that and was willing to invest in someone else that had made mistakes, someone else that didn't live up to other people's standards, we have the book, The Gospel of Mark. That's amazing. What if Peter threw, threw Mark out just like Paul did? We'd never have the Gospel of Mark. So to sum things up, Peter tells us, in this world you will suffer, right? Have you ever suffered? Anybody suffered? But God will give you the grace to endure. There will be times when you feel overwhelmed, but God will restore, He will confirm, He will strengthen, and He will establish you. You will have anxiety, and you will have suffering, and you will have things that try to steal your peace. But God has given shepherds in the body of Christ to teach you God's grace, to teach you God's love, to teach you how to walk in God's peace. And that will help to sustain you in Christ Jesus. First Peter is an awesome book. Let's hope we don't have to go into Second Peter. First Peter was the fiery trials, was the trials. Second Peter was the fiery trials. And we, as a body of believers, we have a part to play in this time in history. We need to speak up. We need to show up. We, we need to find out what God would have us to do. We need to humble ourselves. We need to be obedient. We need to be, we, we need to be so, we need to be um, willing to lay down our desires and our wants for what God desires and He wants. And listen, if you seek the kingdom first, He says all these other things will be added unto you. I believe with all my heart that the best is yet to come. The only thing that I don't know is that little space in between here and there. And I really think it's going to come down to does, will the church rise up and be the light in the world that Jesus Christ has called us to be? Amen? Amen. We're going to close, we're going to close in worship. I'm going to pray. We're going to close, close in worship. We're going to um, sing um, the name of Jesus because it's really the, the, the only answer for, for our communities, for our families, for our cities and nation. And uh, if, if you're here today and, and you need prayer, you need ministry, if, if you're struggling with anything, let us as the body of Christ come alongside you and pray for you. Um, there's no reason to, you know, you can, you can go anywhere. You can, there's a, there's a, at least 13 places in this town if you want to go get high. There's, there, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a uh, um, bunch of places you can go 
if you, if you want to eat. There's, there's, there's lots of things that the world has to offer, but there's only one place where you can experience the love of God and receive prayer and ministry, and that's in the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank You. We thank You that You are a good God. We thank You that You are our chief shepherd and we hear Your voice. Heavenly Father, we ask that Holy Spirit would, would sear that into our minds that each of us are shepherds. Each of us are leaders. We have leadership over someone. Someone is following us. Someone is watching us. And we ask that as we follow the Good Shepherd, that You would grace us, grace us to allow that glory that You have put within us to be manifest. Heavenly Father, Make the desires of our hearts your desires. And knowing that we fully trust you to take care of all of our needs. This morning, Lord, we, we cast our cares unto you because we truly, from the depths of our being, know that you care for us. And we rest. We rest in our shepherd's arms. We love you. We praise you. And we worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.